and thank you for tuning in into the Seven Millennial Podcast, a community dedicated to ambitious and successful millennials. And today with us, we have Claudio Romano. He is the founder and CEO of Orchid B, which is the first end-to-end back office platform for the self-employed and small-medium enterprises. Claudia started his career in investment banking at Merrill Lynch. Later on, he moved on to management consulting and worked with multiple different companies in Zurich and Paris and all around the world. He practiced strategic planning, delivering major projects, as well as technology and mergers and acquisitions. Later on, he started his own consulting company and ran it for a few years, where he realized how many challenges and problems entrepreneurs face when they start their own business and try to manage their teams, processes, new developments in technology. And that is how Orchid B was formed. Right now, they have nine core team members. They're based in Montreal, Toronto, Singapore, Paris. It's a very global team. They have advisors and board members around the world. They're at the pre-seed stage. And the interesting part is, right now, they're just building their MVP, their minimal viable product. They're at initial stage of their business, and we get a glimpse, an exciting opportunity to see how the company is being formed, the lessons that they're learning along the way, the issues and challenges they're facing, the opportunities they're faced with, and how they're dealing with all of it at the same time. And with that, please welcome Claudio. My name is Claudio Romano. I'm Italian, English, and French. I'm the founder and CEO of, uh, of Orchid Bee. Orchid Bee is a little, uh, it's an insect actually that uh, you find in, in Central America that pollinates uh, flowers such as orchids. But it's also a currently uh, a company we're trying to bring into existence uh, based in Montreal that will effectively help organizations, particularly the self-employed and small and medium enterprises, to have a full end-to-end back-office platform. So, yeah, I'm currently in France now. And the idea is, you know, thanks to the government of Quebec and, and various other economic development agencies is to come to Montreal at the beginning of next year and launch Orchid B. So uh, I'm very proud to be with you here today, Maria, but also yeah, tell you a little bit more about what we're doing and how we think we're going to revolutionize the administration for small companies, not just in Canada, hopefully, but globally. I love it. Well, first of all, thank you for sharing this. And I guess to jump right in there, how did you come up with an idea? What led you to it? And what is the problem that you're trying to solve? I've worked for very large organizations most of my life as a, as a management consultant, um, you know, be it banks or aircraft manufacturing companies. And when you work for these really big companies, you always realize that actually there's a whole lot of support services you've got there for you, whether it's the finance department, the marketing department, the communications department, the legal department. And over the last four years, I actually started my little boutique consulting company. And I really had to start from scratch. You know? So after 25 years of, of a career, I had to figure out how to create a company and had no idea where to start. Didn't know whether to create a sole proprietorship or a corporation. I then had to figure out what accountant to use or what he should, he should be doing for me, what tools to use or what tools my accountant should use. I also had to figure out how to you know, get my taxes declared and do my statutory returns at the end of the year. And, and really, I very much felt I was starting my career from scratch. Anyway, I created my company. I was relatively successful. I operated it for about three years, and then I closed it down. And when I closed it down, my accountant pretty much forgot about me, and I only eventually got my financial statements back about three or four months later. And on top of that, but, you know, the tax wasn't properly declared, and it was all quite complicated. So I thought, hold on a second. This just can't be like this. Why do I have to deal with so many different 
companies, why do I have to start from scratch? Why do I have to deal with so many tools? Why do I have to spend so much time throughout the year, year in, year out, doing work, which really doesn't bring any more customers in through the door or um, help me develop any new products? So I spent about two or three months looking into what back office services were for the self-employed and small and medium enterprises. And I thought, this is really weird, but there are up to 20, 25 different companies one would actually have to work with to run their company. None of these companies are ever integrated. On top of that, um, there's a bit of a revolution going on at the moment. It's called fintech. It's called insurtech. It's called govtech. It's called taxtech, you know, everything tech. And actually what we're realizing is that whilst there are lots of companies that are specializing in specific verticals and continue to try to build moats around those verticals so that, you know, it's difficult to go beyond that vertical. We're also seeing what we call platforms. And platforms are effectively companies um, like Orchid B that try and bring together the best of breed. They try and build the best possible customer experience and they try and integrate with the best possible vertical or technology companies. And that's what we're trying to do. I wrote a vision document. Uh, we have a team of about nine people now. We're working to set up some partnerships in Canada, but also internationally. We're looking to integrate with some incredible digital companies in the back end. We just want to make it easy for the self-employed and small and medium enterprises. In most countries, they represent over 90% of entities. They represent over 60% of employment. So we think there's a, a real opportunity there to just help these small organizations spend more time on what their core business is about and less time on that administrative gray matter. And to make a parallel, and we, if we talk about another industry, if you think of Airbus or Boeing, well, that's exactly how Airbus works. Airbus today assembles work packages and procures different parts of an aircraft, whether it's ends, it's, it can be uh, the wings or front ends. And really, Airbus are good at putting people on planes and sending them from A to B. But they don't manufacture engines. They don't manufacture seats. They bring all of those together. And ultimately, they focus on the client experience. And that's exactly what we want to do for back office services for the self-employed and small and medium enterprises to start with in Canada. I like the story. And thank you for giving us a little bit of a history and then what you guys do, obviously. Um, so it sounds like a huge project to undertake. And I mean, you're coming from owning small, medium-sized business, global, to now creating this new beast, so to speak, which I assume not having a proper solution back to, I guess, front end to back end, all encompassing, is a global problem. I assume every country is dealing with same issues. Every entrepreneur in every country has similar problems. And it's hard to believe that there's no competitors out there. So... Can you tell us more about what the market actually looks like? What are the entrepreneurs using right now? Like, is there something close to it? Oh, of course. We, we do have competitors. If you need to register a company in Canada today, there are various professional services firms that help you register a, a company. Um, if you need to open a bank account, you go to a bank and you open a bank account. If you need an insurance policy, you go to an insurance company and you insure your business in, in multiple ways. If you need accounting software, there are you know, 20, 30 different accounting software companies, some local, some global. Same thing goes for companies that declare your tax or that manage your payroll. So we have competitors in most of those verticals. We also have competitors in the fintech market, for example. So companies that effectively are, are changing the way banking is run and they're making it a lot more streamlined. 
But we still believe that what we're doing is rather unique because we're actually building a bridge across all of those functions. And we haven't really seen any major player globally who can do this at least digitally the way we want to do it. So yes, we do have competitors. We're the new babies on the block. But um, we think that when the millennials come to us, because that's you know, also our target, and I'm glad you're also called the savvy millennials, but when we go out to 25 to, to 35-year-olds, who are looking to have an instant service and you know think of Airbnb, right? That sort of feeling. We think that we'll be that product that will just strike that note. Well, and I think you're right because the benefit of your platform is also not even the fact that you help entrepreneurs figure out everything in one place, but it's also you help them figure out the things they might not have thought about. Because nobody just starts a business. A lot of people you know, don't have a business degree. And when they start a business, they don't necessarily know what they need until they get to the problem of needing it. Like, as you said, taxes and incorporation and knowing exactly what you need and how to do it, right? A lot of people spend countless hours online just trying to, A, find out what they need for their business, and then B, how to do it, and then they compare the prices. So a lot of it is spend and research, and I think you will alleviate this problem, as you said, with Airbnb. Just one button, everything you need, just check it off of your list, and then you can also outsource it. The founder no longer has to do all of those things because he can give it to the team, right? Is that is that something that you're also trying to do? Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, actually, most entrepreneurs uh, spend a lot of time procuring services. Procuring services is exactly is exactly what you're saying. You're saying it's comparing multiple options, finding the right price, and then figuring out what they need to do and what they don't need to do, and maybe what will happen at the end of the year, right? So taxes is a good example. So, you know. Your accountant will tell you that he will deal with your taxes. But until you actually see what that means, it's actually quite hard to understand. You know, how many times a month or a quarter do you have to do your VAT returns or your HST returns? Towards the end of the year, you, you need to sometimes figure out, well, shall I stop paying myself a salary and pay myself a dividend? Those are actually pretty simple questions, but they can become quite complicated. And if you start fiddling around in Excel and then setting up meetings with your accountant and Actually, it, it distracts you from your day to day. And you know, to go back to Airbnb, the wonderful thing about Airbnb is you just go on there, look at some beautiful photos, and within minutes, you're already dreaming about the holiday you're going to go on and not actually worrying about comparing, procuring, calling, telephoning, booking, right? And to a certain extent, back office services are just like that. Uh, and in fact, most self-employed and entrepreneurs have a very simple setup. In fact, I'd say... 80% of the problems can be solved with 20% of the questions. Those are some of the areas we're working on as well. To set up a company, it takes minutes. Some of the technology we're going to use is going to enable them to actually have access to a bank account in under 10 minutes, and that would include an insurance policy. Everything to do with their accounts, you know, if you think of a, of a management consultant, um, for example, who may make two or $300,000 a year, maybe less, he probably has about 300 transactions that goes through his account every year maybe sends out 30 invoices to his clients per year. So it's a very simple setup. We're going to make all of that immediate. We're going to reduce the anxiety. We're going to increase the control. And most of all, we're going to help our self-employed and SMEs forecast, look forward. Because the most exciting thing about entrepreneurship isn't control, it's development. And if you can focus on development, and you can go out the door, meet your clients, build your products, you will be successful. And today, with innovation and digital and everything that goes with it, 
we're getting there. So we're going to empower the self-employed and SMEs to go well beyond the current markets that they think they can gather today. I love that you said that you know you you are taking the guessing game out of it and you're giving the entrepreneurs back the control, but also time, which is one of the most important things that entrepreneur values, right? It's one of the most important resource. It's time. And you're giving them that resource back. It's interesting because a lot of times on, on here, we have a lot of entrepreneurs either who've done something with their companies, build them, sold them, or have built something and they're running right now. So we've never had someone who hasn't quite built the company, but right in this initial stages. And I would really love to talk to you about this because we rarely get this opportunity. How was the process creating, I guess, the team, going from an idea that you had, how long did it take you? And where are you at now? What's the biggest pain point and maybe some lessons that you've learned so far? I started off by writing a vision document. So it was just literally me on my chair thinking, how can this be so complicated? And I I started just emailing a few of my friends, my network effectively, whether it's people I've worked with before or friends and family. And I started just telling them about what they thought about it. I then rang and set up about 50 different interviews with a whole host of potential clients. And I've met some incredible people in this process. So the one I always like talking about is an anesthetist that, uh, that we interviewed. She, at the age of 45, uh, gave up working in the hospital sector or continued working as an anesthetist, but not as a salary worker. And she created her own enterprise. She anesthetizes about 1,600 people a year. She puts them to sleep and she wakes them up again, which to me is just incredible, right? And she told me about what she went through, trying to figure out what it meant to create a company. She's also part of a partnership. She has to send about 1,600 invoices out to her customers and then get checks back. I'd check that she's been paid, figure out what her financial statements are. When we interviewed her, she still didn't know at the end of June how much tax she was paying for the previous year. So what I've found the most exciting is just going out there and meeting people. We've met people who, do, who have import-export companies with China. We have met people who um, run vineyards. We have met lawyers. We've met accountants, a whole host of different types of entrepreneurs. So today, what have we done? Well, we've interviewed a whole lot of customers, and that's the most important thing because we've validated our product market fit. We've also come up with a, a portfolio of about literally 280 processes that self-employed and SMEs need to run to manage their back office service. And you won't believe that, but every entrepreneur today, even a small entrepreneur, has to manage those 280 processes and have the knowledge to figure out which one of those processes is at risk before the end of the year. And we could take that offline probably one day if you want me to go into more detail about that. So we have a full, fully spec'd out process catalog. We have a team of about nine of us now based in Montreal. We're also in Toronto. We're in Paris. We're in London. We're in Zurich. We have advisors in Singapore. So I've got a core team of our CTO. We've got our general counsel. We've got our chief compliance officer. We've got our head of product management. We've got graphic designers. We're also looking to hire front-end developers, back-end developers. And we're trying to build our first minimum viable product. Um, And we're going to put that minimum viable product to our first customers, probably in Ontario and in Quebec. And to to start off at the very beginning, we're going to be providing a very simple dashboard to help entrepreneurs where they are and what the risks, what risks they're running to manage their business. While we bring that to market at the same time, we're also setting up global partnerships now. So we're setting up a partnership with a, a very renowned bank in Canada who will help us issue bank accounts. 
We're also um, about to sign a contract with a very well-renowned payment service provider to manage all our cards. We're talking to an insurance broker. We're talking to an insurance fintech, or sorry, an insurtech platform. We're also talking to a, a currency platform. We're bringing all of those verticals together. And the exciting thing is, is that all of these partners, and there are more, are all ready for the next generation of fintech and insurtech platforms. They are effectively the Rolls-Royce engines of Airbus tomorrow. So we're, we're getting there with these partnerships. And of course, the biggest challenge we have, Maria, is, is, is like all startups, is financing. So we started talking to various venture capital firms in, in Canada, in, in, in the US, in Europe. They all love the idea. Uh, but of course, like most venture capital companies, they also want to see a little bit, a bit of traction. So we need to obviously you know, build that pipeline of clients, build that product so we're credible. Uh, and finally, the latest challenge is hiring people. So bringing in talent is always difficult, uh, specifically on the technical side of things. So you know, we're talking to headhunters as well. We're, we're recruiting directly on the market and bringing in the right people at the right time is also a challenge. To answer your questions about lessons learned, well, I'm learning every day. So I think I can only talk in the present tense, really. You know, when you start a company, I think you should always focus on what you believe and take that to the very end. And you know, some of the guys that work with me today are exceptionally good at making sure we're consistent and focused. Our vision is to build an end-to-end platform. It's not just to build one vertical. And I think my lessons learned today is stick to that vision. However much people may say to you that you know what we're trying to do is ludicrous, trying to boil the ocean, you name it. We're trying to stick to our vision because that's what we think the product market fit is about. I'm learning every day. We have a, a fantastic advisory board uh, of people in, as I said, in Zurich, London, Singapore, and, and we're part of a fantastic accelerator program in Montreal called Défi Montréal. Thanks to them, I'm also learning a huge amount. So it's you know learning lessons, not just lessons learned. And they've also introduced me to a wonderful network, a very diverse set of people, whether it's investors, various different types of professional services firms, lawyers, Montréal International, who recently won the best, well, I think that they were deemed to be the best economic development agency in the world a couple of weeks ago, but also the Investment Bank for Quebec uh, and various other entities. So I'm extremely lucky to be in a very fertile environment, not just in Quebec or Montreal, but also Canada, which I think is a fantastic country uh, to kick off a project like what to be. I love how, you know, you mentioned so many, I guess, struggles, lessons, but also the things that you've dealt with and so precise. It sounds like obviously there's a strategy, you have a vision, you have a goal and you have certain steps. It seems like everything is put together. Everything is well organized. Now, is this how it actually is, how it sounds? Or have you ever had those moments where it was like, oh crap, what are we going to do? Or what is this? I've never thought this is a, could be a problem or I've never thought about this. Like, have you encountered any of those pivotal moments? And I mean, you have a great board of advisors, you have 19 members. I'm sure there's some challenges that you've dealt with that you never saw coming. What could be those things? Just on the recruitment front, for example, you know, sometimes I sort of punch the air and, you know, get off the phone. I think, yes, this guy's going to join the team. And then, you know, he tells me, He's got great experience. And, you know, I'm like, oh my God, if this guy joins or girl, you know, joins Orchid B, this is going to be huge. And then, you know, three days later, he'll call and say, sorry, Claudio, I've joined another company. I'm like, oh, you know, so 
you have these sort of punching in the air moments and then you have you know disappointments how do you go through those disappointments like the you know how do you deal with rejection because i mean right now you're in this stage where things are still uncertain i'm sure a lot of people as you said telling you to not boil the ocean it's never gonna work you're hearing a lot of the negative stuff maybe from family friends outsiders when you're doing your market research a lot of people have their opinions that they volunteer obviously how do you deal with the negativity what's your strategy i think i try and be consistent i also try to reach out to some of my team members sometimes when i'm thinking yeah, maybe i'm doing the wrong thing or we're doing the wrong thing i try to bring the team together to challenge where we are. We, we do a SWOT analysis every now and then to say, you know, what are our strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. If you want to be a good entrepreneur um, or a successful entrepreneur, you need to also give time to time. Sometimes you need to spend a couple of weeks or three weeks or four weeks where things just don't go the way you want them to go because you started building your product in one way and you realize, you know, it should have gone another way. Sometimes you disagree with your, your team members as well. You have to compromise. You have to empathize as well. You have to think, well, it's not just about me. It's about our clients. In fact, it's not just about our clients. It's about our advisors. It's, it's not just about our, our advisors. It's about our investors. So you constantly need to think about all those different stakeholders. And all of them have actually positive messages to give. I spoke to a, an angel investor the other day. And he said to me, Claudio, have you got skin in the game? And I said, well, what do you mean by skin in the game? And he said, well, how many millions of dollars have you invested in the business? And I said, none, actually. And then I went home and I, I thought, hold on a second, let me just figure this out. So on the back of a piece of paper, I actually calculated how many hundreds of days the team had been working on a product, right? And we've actually spent over half a million dollars on developing our platform. Sometimes it's just about semantics as well. You know, you need to be ready to have a, a very high level conversation with very busy investors, for example, in this case, who look for signs of, of leadership maturity and a way of structuring your thoughts, which show that you're not just thinking about yourself or your immediate team, but the bigger picture. I like so, that yeah. you mentioned that, you know, you sat down and you calculated the amount of hours because you're right. A lot of the times it's the sweat equity that you're putting in. And the reason why there's not a product like that on the market is because nobody has been willing to put the sweat equity in and to put the hours. And there's a lot of money in the market, right? Money is not always the solvable problem. Sometimes it's actually the good execution and the solutions that need to be funded. In terms of raising money, and I think that would be probably an interesting topic for a lot of entrepreneurs, what is your opinion in terms of you know, bootstrapping the company, trying to figure out maybe to put in your own money, maybe find an investor, angel capital, venture capital fund? What is your, I guess, initial feeling right now as you're preparing to find that first seed round, pre-seed round? It always depends on what type of company you're, you're building. We're building a platform and a lot of what we're doing requires quite a lot of heavy lifting. So we need to build technology that will interface to our different partners and that's expensive. And each integration requires an upfront setup costs and upfront you know, maintenance costs. So we have quite significant investments and what we're not looking to do is raise you know, $5,000 here, $10,000 there because we know that the overall ambition is well beyond the sum of these small parts. However, there are lots of companies in the new world, in, in the fintech world, in the insurtech world, who are working on very, very laser sharp services. You know, so think of Flinks, um, who you may have heard of in Montreal. They have a wonderful technology which enables you to effectively import bank balances and various other pieces of information onto, onto a platform. They have a very, very laser sharp 
offering. And the chances are when they built their technology, they could almost do this on, on their own, right? So I think it's a question of, you know, how much of the technology can you build on your own? Does it depend on your own IQ, right? And how much does it depend on your on your partners? And getting that balance is subtle. But once you know what your product operating model is, right? Operating model is is an organization, processes, procedures, and tools. When you know what the operating model looks like, then you can also figure out what your budget is. And if you can figure out what your budget is, well, you know whether to go to angel investors or VCs or, or your friends and family. So it's really about balancing the ambition of the, the model you want to build and how you're going to service your clients with you know, how much money you want to raise. Um, and it's also about time to market. So really, the faster you want to go to the market, well, the more resources you'll need, right, by definition. You know, if you put all of your life into a startup, which is what I've done, you haven't got that much time, right? <laughs> so you need to be relatively aggressive. And so when you call the VCs or your friends and family, make sure that your, your request is balanced. I like it. I like it. Okay. So then I guess on this note, to make sure that you're balanced, what are the steps and the things that you do to kind of keep yourself together? Because I'm sure it's a lot of stress. It's a lot of pressure and the things that you you know, all of us don't usually see that you go through. There's some challenges, maybe sometimes you need to pivot. You obviously have to juggle a lot of things. So how do you deal with the emotional part and also obviously the, all, the, all the things that are going wrong? How do you deal with them? I suppose I, I like to have a little bit of a routine. I'm not really a routine guy, but um, my grandfather, who passed away at the late age of 97, was someone who never owned a car, and he spent all his life walking around Naples, which is you know where you know my origins are from. So I deeply believe in walking, and, and every morning I, I go for a half an hour walk around our forest here, um, and I come back, and then I come back to the office, so to speak, because we've been confined for so many months. And then in the evening, I leave the office, and I go around the forest again, and I come back <laughs> the different way. Um, and I just love walking through through the forest, looking at these huge trees, and thinking if these trees have made it this far, maybe I can. And then what I also do, again, when, when we're not confined, is, is I, I play ice hockey as well. I, I started playing ice hockey at the age of 40 in Switzerland, somehow fell in love with the game. I'm a bit of a dinosaur when it comes to, to ice hockey, but I love it. It's a team game. It it's, keeps you up fresh. And, you know, it's, it's the fastest sport in the world as well that, that not everybody knows. So I try and play ice hockey as well on Sunday night with a bunch of other amateurs like me. And uh, that just gives me great pleasure. Uh, and charges me up for the week. So walking and, and ice hockey, I'd say, at this stage. And you're really showing that it's never too late to pick up a new hobby or a new sport. You know, there's some people who say it's too late. It's never too late. And clearly you're showing that. I love this. So I guess in your opinion, now as you're going through this, what is your opinion that separates great entrepreneurs from not so great or the amazing companies that make it? And the ones that actually quite don't. What is your personal opinion on that? I think there's no real definition of an entrepreneur. I think an entrepreneur is, is all about a person. It's all about his personality. And it's about how much he can listen and how much he can join the dots between opportunity um, and, and delivering a product at the right rhythm to the right audience. There's no age for an entrepreneur. There's no particular definition. I think an entrepreneur just needs to believe in what he's doing, connect with his clients ultimately or his customers and build an ecosystem which makes not just the business successful but the people who work for that business successful the partners that work for that business successful the investors who invest in that business successful so it's someone who can juggle 
multiple plates um, at the same time. And it's someone who can just stay motivated to have that, that empathy, have those social skills, have that self-awareness, that self-confidence, which is, is quite difficult to, to juggle in, in, in today's you know, new world. In terms of you know, what is a successful business, I think it's about product market fit. It's as simple as that. You, know, you can have the best team in the world. You can have the best timing in the world. You can have all the money in the world. If your product doesn't fit a gap, you can't be successful. And I think you know, getting that balance it is the most important thing because the perception of what your product is can be very different depending on the stakeholders that are in front of you. And getting that communication right is the most important thing. So ultimately, it's actually all about communication. No matter what product you're in, no matter what service you're in, if you can't communicate properly, you won't be successful. I love this. This is one of the best answers I've ever gotten. <laughs> I love this. It's just mine. It's incredible. Thank you. In terms of support that you're getting, and you know, it's all about product market fit and figuring out how to connect the dots. As you're going through this process, you know, we touched on it before that you you are dealing with a lot of negative feedback, maybe family, maybe you know, other opinions that are thrown at you. As an entrepreneur from the other side, how would you, I guess, recommend to all the people out there who have entrepreneurs in their family, who are trying to build something, going through the you know, iterations, what would be the best way to support someone who's an entrepreneur, like in your opinion? I mean, I get support in lots of different ways. Um, my wife, for a start, is just incredible. She accepts, I don't know how. <laughs> The fact that I've effectively been out of a job and a salary for, for you know, you know, nine months. And when I, I have a good day, she says, you know, well done, keep it up. And when I have a bad day, she says, you know, don't worry about it. Tomorrow will be, will be another great day. So she's just there for me. And then I have advisors. And those advisors are all about the network that I've built over the last 20 years. And I remember, you know, when you go to business school or university, you, you have these professors who say to you, work on your network, work on your network. And... You're like, well, I haven't got a network. How can I work on my network? I suppose after 20 years, you start to think, actually, you know what? I do have a bit of a written network. It's, and in fact, some of my ex-colleagues happen to happen to be my friends. So I think it's about recognizing the luck that your friends are your network and your network are your friends and building upon that because effectively that is what today makes me feel strong uh, and which makes me to the, you know, brings me to the next day. That's amazing. So then the question for all the people who are trying to build their network right now and in COVID, it's not that easy to meet people. You're not going to events. You're not thrown in the rooms with the right people, so to speak. How do you place yourself in that position, especially if, if for you, you're right now in France. So trying to network with someone in a different time zone and a different place, A, how do you get those meetings? B, how do you convince people to listen to you and then get a second invite or a second uh, call? And are there any secrets that you can share? I think you just need to be outgoing. And, and outgoing means going and knocking on doors or, or just sticking your foot in the door. I'll give you an example, which for me is just, I'll tell everyone you know, the experience I went through. I, I went to the Canadian, the Franco-Canadian uh, Chamber of Commerce in Paris a few months back. And I met a representative of Invest in Canada and we had a few glasses of champagne together. And I said to him, you know what? Like, I think Canada is really interesting. I love hockey. And, you know, and, and we sort of made friends and said goodbye. A few months later, I decided to kick off Orchid B again, sitting in my chair in, in Paris. Uh, and I gave him a call. 
overnight, he was very interested in, in what we were doing. And I sent him our investor deck, our, our information memorandum. And he introduced me to a whole host of other representatives in Canada with Invest in Quebec. On, on another instance, I, I randomly decided to go to a, a podcast organized by the same organization, the, the Canadian Chamber of Commerce. And at that event, there was the Minister of the Economy of Quebec that was there. And I happened to ask a question. It was a bit of a dumb question. It was like, well, you know, I'd like to go to Quebec and create a company. You know, is it difficult or something? I asked a rather random question. And at the same time on LinkedIn, literally within about three minutes, a senior director of the Investment Bank of Quebec sent me a little message saying, you know, dear Mr. Romano, I understand you're looking to create a company. Can we talk tomorrow, you know, at 12 o'clock? I was like, oh, my God. So I was like, yeah, sure. um, Let's meet. So within a day, I'd already met someone from the Investment Bank of Quebec. He then introduced me to Montréal International, that was the Economic Development Agency of Montreal. Through them, I then met a whole host of other organizations, including my accelerator. And I just joined the podcast, you know, just the way I joined your podcast today. Of course, it wasn't uh, just a one-way podcast, but, you know, knocking on people's doors that you've never met before can pay incredible dividends. And all the people I've met literally through my computer, just the way I'm talking to you today, are today part of the team, whether that's our general counsel in Toronto, our head of compliance is also in Toronto. These are all people I met through this process of networking and knocking on people's doors. And specifically in these COVID times, I think, interestingly, you know, whilst we're not physically together, there's a very strong sense of community, probably even stronger than there was before. So it's really worth just going out there, sending emails, um, whether it's you know, finding new partners or you know, development agencies or accelerators, people do respond. People respond and they also introduce you to their friends. And that shouldn't be underestimated because a network isn't just your friends or your old colleagues. It's also people you've never met before and it works. I totally agree with you because, and I, I love that you're mentioning this because I am a true believer that you know you just have to create action. You have to go out there, meet as many people as you can. And at the end of the day, it's a numbers game. Similar to raising money, sometimes it's a numbers game. The more people you approach, the more you have the chances to actually get that right person and get the right network, get the money that you want, but you have to act and do the first step. And you're absolutely right. You know, you never know also where the opportunities lead and also having this trust that it's all going to work out somehow, <laughs> that you're not wasting time. I think, I think it is important. So I'm glad, I'm glad you mentioned that. Now, to touch on the people that you, I guess, never met before and mentorship and advisors, how do you, I guess, find the people whose content you can consume? How do you find the influencers whose opinion you value? What is your step? And then I guess, what are the resources that you use to stay sharp, to make sure you are in the know of the industry to make sure that you're always developing. Before I started Orchid B, I actually went into I went back into education again, and I, I took a, a six-month course in digital innovation with MIT, and that was just fantastic. That was just another online course. It lasted six months. You know, work, had, had to work a few nights, but I definitely recommend going back into education. How a distance you may feel academics is, it is really refreshing. The other thing that I've done is I've joined a number of podcasts, uh, which I find really inspiring. Some of them are closer to, to the fintech world and what we do. So there's one hosted by uh, someone called John Syracuse, who runs a podcast called The Bank On It Show. 
Um, there's another amazing podcast I love listening to, which is called How I Built It by Guy Raz. And some of the stories you hear on his podcast are just eye-watering. They're, they're really inspirational. So when I go on my forest tour every morning and in the evening, I, I listen to Guy Raz in the morning. And he really inspires me, and especially the entrepreneurs he talks to. Because in fact, the conversations he has are, are really never about business. They're always about the person. And the most important you know, rucksack you need on your back when you go to your office every morning is something which provides confidence. And if you can learn about what other people are doing or how they're struggling, that provides confidence. Well, I've, re- I've recently read two books at the moment. One of them is actually the, it's the biography of someone called Alphonse Desjardins. Alphonse Desjardins was the founder of the biggest federation of credit unions in North America, because I also visited his house randomly in Levy in, in Quebec recently. <laughs> it's also really interesting to learn, especially from a financial services perspective, how some of these older banks, so to speak, have worked and where they came from. And I find that really, really interesting because a lot of what we're trying to do at Orchid Be is about community. And everything you read about the way the Groupe Desjardins Federation was created at the end of the 19th century is about building hope in communities for people who don't always have the right, you know, access to income. The other fantastic book I read recently is called Machine Platform Crowd. And it's by two academics from MIT called Andrew McAfee and Eric Brynjolfsson. And uh, Machine Platform Crowd is all about how all of these incredible new things in life, uh, whether it's platforms, new digital services that are coming to life and what makes them work, what makes them complementary, and how they're changing the world we're living in. So I'm trying to sort of keep up with a bit of the future, but also not forgetting where we come from. And, and those are two books that have, have marked me over the last few uh, few months. Thank you for sharing those. Uh, yeah, very, very technical. I like it. I mean, uh, I don't know if it's on Audible, both of them, or if they're on Blinkist, but I'll, I'll see. Yeah, you can find the Desjardins, I think, um, biography on the, certainly on the, on the internet. And the, the machine platform and crowd as well, surely on Amazon. So I guess from all the things that you're learning, listening to, experiencing right now and researching and the findings you're coming up to, do you see that there is something coming up as a trend maybe for 2021 now with COVID and e-commerce booming? What do you think is going to be the next maybe billion dollar idea? And I guess the follow-up question would be, what are some of the skills that everyone should be paying attention to, maybe developing, maybe looking into, because you're seeing something is going to happen? Well, I'll have to reply with a sort of financial services hat on, but that goes beyond that. So I truly believe that in the future, we will no longer hear of financial services. I think industries are actually going from being vertically positioned to horizontally positioned. A number of years back, I invested in a company that does biometric authentication. Now, the company I invested in effectively built a mechanism to authenticate yourself via the vein imprint of your wrist, which is a rather unique biometric mechanism for authentication. And this is about three or four years ago when no one had really you know, seen an iWatch or used an iWatch before. But really, what we're going to see tomorrow is we're going to see the market of watches being used as a form of payment. We're also going to be used using you know, wearables to, to, to get on a bicycle and potentially take out a mortgage um, or an insurance product or, or potentially get on a plane, right? So we're going to see industries which maybe in the olden days were you know, just about mechanical watches actually becoming financial service providers. 
And the same thing goes for lots of other types of industries. So I think tomorrow's world, at least from a financial services perspective, is going to be all about radically changing the client experience. It's not going to be about, you know, I need a bank account, I need an insurance policy, I need, you know, my payroll in the case of Orchid B. It's going to be about accessing a platform. And tomorrow's world will all be about new platforms. I'm really inspired by this. And that doesn't mean that, you know, banks or all of these other highly specific verticals won't exist anymore. But what will happen is that they will specialize. So, you know, when you join a platform, you, you, you will not necessarily know that, you know, there are certain engines behind that platform doing all the dirty work. And that's how I think economies are going to change for the good tomorrow. And to go back to the Airbus you know, example I provided before, that's what it's going to be about. It's going to be about getting on a journey, having access to a series of services, and not necessarily knowing which specific company has provided that service, but you're just going to feel that it's just seamless. So yeah, it's about going from vertical to horizontal. I like it. So what are the opportunities, I guess, for entrepreneur, if I were to start a company right now? Where would I go? What should I do, do you think? What, like, what should be my passion? I think there's a lot of hype behind, you know, you know, everyone should throw everything into technology now. I still believe that at the heart of all our economies, there are still people who need to open and run restaurants. You know, hotels will continue, even though we're going through the, the COVID crisis. There will still be public transport or private transport. We will still need lawyers. We will still need accountants. So I still think that all of those industries will exist. And I think ultimately, I think the question is, it isn't necessarily what job should I do or what company should I create? I think it's about you know, what drives my passion. When I left university, well, when I left school, I remember asking my dad saying, Dad, you know, I'm not sure I really know what I want to do. My dad was like, well, I did economics. Go and do economics. So I went and did economics, right? And you know, my brother, for example, he was passionate about biology and he went and studied biology. And my sister was passionate about psychology and went and did psychology. So I think it's first and foremost finding an interest in something that we, you think, uh, you know, makes you wake up in the morning. And you will then figure out, you know, whether or not you want to create a company in that, in that world. Because actually, life isn't just about work or entrepreneurship. There's a lot more than just work. I like that you said that because one of the things a lot of people recommend is, you know, well, find a problem to solve. And that's how you find your passion. And so I always try to mix up those kind of questions to see what people give me as answers. I like yours a lot. I like yours a lot. Uh, to change gears, question, why did you name your company Orchid B? Yes, so Orchid B is a B. It's a very colorful B. Um, in fact, it's one of the most colorful bees in the world. And it, it pollinates orchids and tomato trees and Brazil nuts and vanilla pods. Um, and you can find orchid bees in, in, in Central America. We had no idea what to call our company. Um, so we came up with names of trees and we went into geology and rocks and things like that. And, um, and orchid bee happened to be available as a domain name. <laughs> so we chose orchid bee. And there are, there are a bunch of videos you can find on YouTube that tell you what they are, but they're absolutely incredible little insects. They're very beautiful. And contrary to what's happening to many other bees, which are probably one of the most important insects in the world because they effectively help trees flower and enable you to eat fruit at the end of the day. But um, there are over 250 species of orchid bees and the number of orchid bees is actually growing. So we like to say it's a colorful little beast and an orchid bee, as in the company, is going to grow just like 
the species. Ah, I love this story. I like it. I love to understand where the names always come from for companies because I know it's not easy. And sometimes it's simple as, you know, we just throw whatever it is at the wall and just figure out what sticks. And with yours, it's, it's actually very interesting. Thank you. Thank you for the story. If you could look back 12 months ago, what would be some of the things that you said you learned and what would be some of the advice that you've given to someone based on the past 12 months? And then what could be the takeaways from the past 12 months? COVID has brought about some very, very bizarre things for everybody, you know, every part of life, whether it's children at school, people who work in hospitals or people who just have jobs, you know, salary workers or entrepreneurs. So I think my, my lesson learned or my advice is, you know, use this, this time or if you have any additional time or if you're out of a job um, to do something a little bit different and, you know, use that courage that you've got, you know, sitting at home to go out and make friends in a very different way than you did it before. Because in fact, uh, I've, over the last 12 months, made some incredible new friends, really incredible, uh, you know, that work in lots of different countries, in different professions. And actually, the world is your oyster, right? So uh, yeah, you use these, these different times to maybe knock on different doors uh, and think about things differently. Maybe try a new sport, right? I randomly, you know, fell in love with sailing 20 years ago just because a friend of mine said to me he was getting on a boat to cross the English Channel. And I thought he was getting on a ferry to, buy, to go and buy cheap beer. And no, he was actually going to sail the boat and he wanted me to help him sail it. Um, so I ended up spending eight years trying to figure out how to sail. Yeah, do random things as well. Random things, I think, make a difference. And go walk down different streets every now and then. Maybe you'll just meet someone different. Ah, oh, love this answer. Thank you. Thank you so much. Okay, so with everyone who comes on the show, what we always ask is, a millennial is... A millennial should be, and a millennial is not. So, a millennial is. I think a millennial is just someone who's between 25 and 35 years old, you know, just left school maybe, probably thinking about what's coming next. I like it. What about a millennial should be? I, I think a millennial should be someone who sees the world differently, who sees the world as a community and not as a group of countries separated by borders seas and deserts because tomorrow's world is about a village about building a stronger community so that's where i think millennials should be going and then a millennial is not a millennial is certainly not someone who leaves school at whatever age to go and play ping pong in a startup <laughs> that's what i don't think a millennial is <laughs> and it's not someone who spends all his time on his mobile phone either which you know we sometimes hear to contrary belief. Uh, yeah, I agree. <laughs> uh, thank you so much. Okay. Is there anything that you would like to share that I might have not asked or anything that you would like to tell us that I might have not questioned? Um, well, at this stage, I've had a wonderful time. Thank you, Maria. It's been a, an exceptional interview, if I can use that word, or, or podcast. Um, no, I mean, for all of those listening, you know, or it could be we're growing, we're looking for talent. We're especially looking for talents uh, ranging from, you know, business development heads to, you know, front-end developers to back-end developers. So please knock on our door, whatever your skill set, even if you're good at marketing or graphic design, just, you know, give us a call. So we're looking for people and we're looking for also for investors, different investors, investors who see fintech and insurtech as something a little bit different. And we'd be delighted to talk to you, whatever country you're from, or 
if you just want to chat, you can just reach out to me and you know, reach me through LinkedIn or our website. Thank you. And it's a perfect opportunity right now, especially for anyone who really want to get down and hustle and learn. There's a lot of opportunities because you are guys in this perfect stage to grow and take over the world. So I think it's a wonderful opportunity right now <laughs> to get involved. Yes, absolutely. Thank you. Perfect. And so where do people find you? How can they connect with you best? Yeah, sure. So they can connect to us on LinkedIn. That's probably the best way of getting to us or our website, www.orchidb.com. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for being with me for this hour. I can't wait to follow up with you in a few months to see how it's going because I think I'm going to be tracking your progress quite vigorously and I'm very excited to, to get some updates from you. Maria, thank you very much indeed. It's been a pleasure.